we're going to turn to the Bible now. Um, this is a, a part of our worship every week that we study a little bit of the Bible, uh, that uh, God may encourage our hearts, challenge us at times, and that we might be a people who are, who are grounded in the Word of God. And we've been working in our morning services through the book of Revelation, which is an amazing, amazing book. Uh, but if you're a guest or a visitor and you're just here for the very first time, you're joining us right near the end. We're up to chapter 21. So if you want to know what happened in the last 20 chapters, just ask someone, you know, as you go out. Um, it's like coming in at the end of the film. You know, you've missed all the plot and stuff, but you get to see what happens at the end. And so that's the kind of feel this morning. Revelation 21. And if it, you're following it in your Bibles, it also should appear on the screen. There we go. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give a drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving... The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And she, he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, which is about 1,400 miles in length, and as wide and high as it was long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick, about 200 feet thick, by man's measurements, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. 
The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate had a, was made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates be ever shut, for there will be no night. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. And I read that several times this week, and every time I wanted to say, yes, yes. Because it is so exciting. John was a man who walked with Jesus, he was one of the disciples. He had seen Jesus with his eyes. He had heard what Jesus said. He had seen the miracles that Jesus had done. He'd actually touched him. He'd eaten with him. And now he is an old man exiled on the island of Patmos. And there was great persecution in the church. Simon and other of the church leaders, the early apostles, had been executed for their faith. But John was exiled. And as an old man, on a Sunday morning, as he was worshipping God, he received this incredible vision. And he writes it down in the book of Revelation. And he has a glimpse of who Jesus really is in all his glory. He'd seen a glimpse of it here on earth when Jesus was transfigured. But he sees Jesus as he really is. And he sees the cosmic battle as well for every human being. He sees that great struggle between good and evil, but knows that God has triumphed. And he writes it all down, and he sends it to the suffering church in the first century. And they keep it as a record, and they pass it down, and they pass it down, and they pass it down, until we are here in the 21st century, and we read it still, and it is still good news for us. The book of Revelation deals with some of the big questions of life. We've just started the Alpha course. Um, I think roughly it's about my 34th, 5th Alpha course. And I love it because people come and they can ask all the questions they've ever wanted to ask about Christianity. And they can put right some of the things that they've misheard along the way. And the first night is all about Jesus. But some of the common questions that are raised throughout the weeks are things about suffering. Singing about what happens when you die. Is there life after death? Are heaven and hell real? And these are some of the questions that are brought up in this passage. Jesus was God in the flesh. Come to rescue us. To give us eternal life. He said these amazing words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die astonishing words. He is saying very simply, if you believe in me, you will never die. Even if you die here, you will live forever. Amazing, isn't it? The brutal fact is that we're all going to die one day. 
It's the ultimate statistic. We are all going to die. Woody Allen famously said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And I I kind of understand what he means. Lord Palmerston, when he was very ill and very old, he was told by his doctor that he was going to die. And he said, die, dear doctor, that's the last thing I'm going to do. (laughs) Death is part of the human condition. We have to ask the question, what happens afterwards? Because the Bible teaches that it's not the end. All through the pages, it teaches it is not the end. It is not the last thing we're going to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the hope of eternal life is based on Jesus because he actually conquered the grave, walked out of his own grave, appeared to people alive after death and promised that he would return again to bring his kingdom in all its fullness and to bring in the new creation, the new heaven and earth. As Christians, we believe in life after life after death. We believe in life after life after death, and I'll explain that as we go on. So given the choice, would you choose to have eternal life? If the reality is this, that God has made a way for you to have eternal life, Would you say yes, please, or no, thank you? That is the ultimate question. Because if we say no, thank you, we have to live by that choice. But if we say yes, please, Jesus welcomes us. Isn't it fantastic that Christianity is not based on our merit, not based on our goodness, not based on how how brilliant we've been in life, but just on accepting what Jesus has done for us. And when we do that, it transforms our life. I remember hearing the story about a minister who was just, he just was longing for the day when Jesus would come back. Just longing for the day. And every morning he would pull back his curtains and say, is it today, Lord? And what a great way to start the day. I don't know if that's how you start your day or you start the day by sort of fumbling for the sort of alarm and going, bang, five more minutes. That's me. (laughs) Five more minutes. What a great attitude of that man. Whatever the shadows of the day before, maybe this day is the day of days, the great and glorious day when Jesus returns as he promised. You know, we're nearer that day than we have ever been. We're closer to the return of Jesus than we have ever been. All the people who have lived in history, we are the closest at the moment to his return. When every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This passage reminds us that it's not the end. When Jesus comes back, it is not the end. It is the beginning. It is the new beginning. And in his revelation, John was given a glimpse, an opening into heaven. And he described what he saw and what he heard. He described how God will one day deal with all evil, all suffering. We live in a world that is wracked by pain and suffering. 
We just look on our television screens, read the newspapers. There is evil and there is pain and there is suffering, but Jesus says there is a day when that will be gone. All done away with. He will do it. And we say, fantastic. Because we cannot imagine living in a world with no pain or suffering. No tears, no mourning, no crying. Because it's full of it. And none of us go through life unscathed unless we're so, so fortunate. The Gospels... The New Testament and this book of Revelation have the same subject at its heart. It is Jesus, the Savior. And John is given a glimpse of heaven. And it's only a glimpse, but how can you describe the indescribable? How can you contain the uncontainable? But what he says is that heaven is a metaphor that tells us that there is far more here than meets the eye. This is not it, friends. This world, this life is not all there is. Even the Apostle Paul says, if we have hope as believers just for this life, we're to be pitied more than anybody. This is not all there is. In fact, this doesn't compare to what is to come, the eternity that is planned. It is beyond and through what we see into what we cannot see yet. God in all his fullness, his rule, his reign, his love, his judgment, his salvation, his mercy, his grace, his healing, his wisdom. And so John embarks on this final revelation as he writes it, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. The Bible begins with creation and it ends with a new creation. And the sin-ruined creation of Genesis and human history is restored, made new with the sacrifice, renewed creation of revelation and eternity. And John's vision of heaven fulfills the words of the Lord's Prayer that we pray. It reveals, a, it reveals that God's name is honored. It reveals God's kingdom come. It reveals God's will done. Fantastic. And what we have experienced in AD history is just the birth pangs of a new creation. And a beckoning from God to participate. All through our lives, God is calling us. Will you come with me? Will you join with me? Will you be part of this new creation? Will you respond to my love and care for you? So what is heaven like? Is an obvious question. Which brings me to this phrase, there is life after life after death. It's not my own phrase, it's Tom Wright, who was the Bishop of Durham and is a, is a great Bible teacher. He says, heaven is as actual as earth, but perfect. We get a glimpse of the resurrection bodies that we will have in the resurrection body of Jesus. Jesus, when he was risen from the dead, was still physical. The disciples could still touch him, speak with him. Yet he would appear through locked doors, through the walls of a building. His body was being made for eternity. And we will be clothed in those same bodies. It will be physical, but will be a different dimension as well. And life after death is not some vague, spirited, disembodied existence. Somewhere over the rainbow, where we'll sit on clouds and play harps. I mean, have you ever just thought how boring that will be? That is not heaven. 
nor is it that sort of best holiday you've ever been on kind of thing, where we get airlifted away from this earth into this sort of paradise dimension. It's like some people want to go to heaven the way they want to go to Florida on holiday. It's, it's kind of getting away from it all, where the sun is always shining and the beaches are beautiful. Heaven isn't a dream or a fantasy. It's a reality. Eternity is a real destination for everyone. Either to be in the presence of God forever or to be separated from the presence of God. And it's our choice. Heaven doesn't have, in the Bible, we don't get a huge description of all the details because it is beyond our imagining. If you Google heaven on your computers, you'll find 120 million sites. You can work your way through that. But it's not an accurate record. The first one that comes up is a gay nightclub in London. And it ranges from lingerie shops to chocolate. This is not heaven. Sometimes as believers, we speak of those who have gone before us, who have died in the faith, and we say they've gone to heaven. Well, yes, they have. They're rightly so. They've gone to be with Christ. Life after death. But there is life after life after death. John's vision of the multitudes in heaven and around the throne tell us that there, are, there is that place. If we die in Christ, we go to be with him. Jesus said to the thief who died next to him on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today. There is that dimension where Jesus is right now. But that's not the end. That's not the end. Yes, we will go to be with when he dies, but he's coming back. Because there is life after life after death. Paul said, and he had a vision of heaven, and he said, it is better by far, and I'm not even permitted to tell you how brilliant it is. But he knew to be away from this body was to be at home with the Lord. But he knew that was not the final destination. The Bible is clear. Jesus is coming back again. He came the first time in obscurity to bear sin. And he did that on the cross. To give everyone the opportunity of forgiveness. To break down that separation between us and a holy God. He gives us the gift of forgiveness. All we have to do is receive it. But he's going to come a second time. Not in obscurity. When he comes the second time, every eye will see. Every eye will see. Every knee will bow. It will be just cosmic. I mean, there are no words to describe. And he will destroy all evil. Like if I noticed this week, I was uh, driving around and I saw the farmers gathering some of the stubble in the fields and they were burning it in preparation for the new season, the new harvest. And in a similar way, Jesus will deal with all evil. All evil will be done away with. It cannot be heaven if evil still exists. And he will be the judge of that. And he said when he walked on this earth, everyone will stand before him and he will separate those, the sheep and the goats, those who have trusted in him, those who have refused him. 
and heaven will come down to earth. And a new heaven and earth will be fused together into one glorious place where God dwells with mankind in an intimate way that we have never known before. God will dwell with mankind. This is heaven. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Thomas More, a great saint of old, said, Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Human history is haunted by tears and pain, but there will become a day where there is no more. Behold, I am making everything new. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished when he paid for sin. When he comes again, we're told, he says, it is done. It is done. All evil will be done away with. Hell is marked by weeping and gnashing of teeth. But no one weeps in heaven. There is joy unimaginable. I am making everything new. And in this vision, John sees who will ascend to heaven. Who will be part of that kingdom of coming with Jesus to this new heaven and new earth. As he makes all things new. Very simply, he says, those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. It's kind of Jesus' book. Those who have trusted in him. Their names are written there. When you became a Christian, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have responded to the true and living God in faith. Because heaven will be an evil-free zone, will be a sin-free zone, and therefore will be a sinner-free zone. And when I, in my arrogance, thought there was no God, and what I thought of the world was the way it was, I was lost. But when Jesus came into my life and gave me a new life, I've been found. And from that day... From that very day, I have never feared death. I had an incredible fear of death before then. But never since Jesus came into my life. Who will inherit those who have trusted in Christ? And so I ask you, have you trusted in Christ? Who are you trusting in? Maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're an agnostic, maybe you're on the fringe of things, maybe you're just finding out about this Christianity. Maybe you've been put off from an early age by the church. Well, let me ask for your forgiveness over that because Jesus is the one that we worship, not the church. And the church has made so many mistakes. But do you respond to Jesus is the key thing. And who will not be there? He gives us this list. And part of the list we can understand, the immoral, the vile, the murderers, the idolaters, those who practice sorcery and all liars. And we think, well. But then he says the cowardly and the unbelieving. And they're harsh words, aren't they? Because we think, why can't God, why, I mean, this was my, why can't God just allow everybody in? If he's so good, why can't he allow everybody in? Why do you have to believe in him? Well, this is the thing. If he left everybody in, there would be evil in heaven. 
evil wouldn't have been done away with. It would be just like it is now. And because of his love, and because he is holy, he has actually said, I'm going to make a way for everyone to come. Not based on their merit, not based on their productivity, but based on the fact that I will do for them something they cannot do for themselves. I will take away their sin. Well, if God was going to do that, why doesn't he make it clear to us? Well, he came himself. God stepped out of heaven, became a human being, that we might know that. And we do have that choice. It's our choice. If we don't want God, if we don't want to be near God, eventually we will get what we want. Won't we? But if we want to know that peace and joy in our heart, even if we don't understand it all, but we can say, yeah, to the measure that I understand, I want that. To know for a fact that God loves you, every single one of you. He loves you and he went to pains to show you that love by dying on a cross to give you eternal life. And all you have to do is say, yes, please. I need that. In the end, we get what we ask for. We either say yes or no thank you. And John has this revelation of the, the sort of glorified church, the believers, not the institution, not the man-made thing, but the community of worshippers. And he tries to describe it, but it is indescribable. You know, the, 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 the sort of city is paved with gold because that's the best you can come up with. As human beings, and, and the pearls, and, and the precious jewels. But what God is saying is just this new creation, and heaven and earth together fused in God's presence is just going to be so awesome, so great, beyond your imagining, beyond anything we can imagine. And the best thing about it is, God is there, and we will meet him face to face, face to face. And we will enjoy his presence forever. And he makes sure in this vision we understand that this is big. The walls are 200 feet thick in this city. It's 1,400 miles long. I mean, we don't want to get caught up with human dimensions. But what he's saying is it's big. Sometimes we imagine Christian community is really small. No, it isn't. It is huge. A third of the world's population currently believes in Jesus. The, the church is phenomenally growing in places where it's persecuted. Do you know it's growing the weakest and even in decline in Western Europe? Because we've rejected it. But we've not turned to anything or ever found anything better. We've just gone our own way. Jesus wants to know that is, there is plenty of room. Many have been saved and many are being saved. And I believe, and I'm holding on to this, that there is going to be a move of God's Spirit in these nations again. And whether I live to see it, but there is going to be a great outpouring of God's Spirit and a turning to Him in this nation once again. And that's why we're here. That's why the church exists, not to have our knees up waiting for Jesus to come, but actually that when we leave this place, we go 
and live it out and tell people about Jesus by the way that we live and by what we say. And all we can do is point to Jesus. We can never make somebody a Christian. I've tried over many years to try and persuade and cajole, but all I can say is point to Jesus. Look at him. Make up your own mind. In this wonderful city that is described, we don't need sun because the light is the glory of God. The city is pure and beautiful, amazing. In this city, heaven and earth, God and man, together. And nothing is awkward. And everything is in balance and harmony and proportion and fruitful and fulfilling and abundant. But I remind you, the best thing about heaven is God will be there. And we will walk and explore and learn and work and rule with him. And so this vision should also make each of us treasure the relationship with God that we have right now. Thank God that he loves us now and is preparing a place for us. And one day he's going to come again. Do you know when the first believers read this in the first century, it was such an encouragement. They were facing a massive persecution under the Roman Empire. And it is still the same. As people in Iran today might read this passage, in Iraq, all throughout the world, they might read this passage and say, yes, there is a hope. And it is Jesus Christ. Not this faint kind of folklore hope. Oh, we'll all be all right in the end. Or we're going to a better place. This vague thing. This is reality. New heaven, new earth. Fantastic. And so he calls us to be his witnesses on this earth. So over the next nine weeks, I'm going to be presenting Jesus on an Alpha course And pleading with people, come to know him. It's the best thing that will ever happen to you. Don't leave it till it's too late. Why would you refuse Christ? Why? But make no mistake, he is coming back again. And one day the whole earth will resound with the worship of the king. We're not going to be airlifted out But we're going to be given new resurrection bodies fitted for the new heaven and new earth and for the eternity of adventure with God. This is the hope for which we live. This news is so thrilling, it cannot help shape our lives here and now. Christianity is good news. Good news. Heaven is reality. And Jesus is coming back. Amen. I want us to pray. I want us to just be quiet just before God for a moment. I'm going to ask Duncan maybe in the band to come up as we close our service. Because I want to just offer the opportunity for anyone here this morning who wants to invite Jesus into their life to do that this morning. To say yes to the forgiveness that he offers. To say yes to the eternal life that he gives as a gift. No conditions. And if that's you this morning, 
and you want to say yes to Jesus, just in your seat, you can say to God, please come into my life. Please forgive me my sins. Please give me eternal life. I believe in you, Jesus. It's as simple as that. And if that's you this morning and God is pounding on your heart, maybe you'll know that because you sense a stirring in your spirit that God is calling you. That he's actually been knocking on the door of your life for a long time and you've put it off and put it off. Maybe today is the day you say yes to him. I encourage you to do that. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you among us. We thank you. Thank you that there is life after life after death. Thank you for the truth that when we die, if we have faith in you, we go to be with you, but also you have promised that we will live for you forever in a new heaven and a new earth. And help us to be your witnesses on this earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a final song. I'm going to ask us all to stand as we sing this song. But if, can I ask, if you've prayed that prayer and you want to invite Jesus into your life, I, I'm going to ask you to come out to the front. I'd love to pray for you. Just come out to the front, just to acknowledge that you want Jesus in your life. 